0: Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and I'm joined today by site publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporters Jacob Rudner and Trevor Booth. Guys, big win for Arizona State this past week, an upset win in East Lansing. Uh, not a lot of people predicted ASU were going to win this game. Uh, one person, I'm pretty sure, we won't name him, but one person predicted ASU to win. They won 10-7 to
1: in the East Lansing second straight year. They upset
0: uh, a ranked Michigan State team. How you guys doing?
1: Hey, Rob, did you just dislocate an elbow or shoulder patting yourself on the back, or are you okay?
0: Uh, no, I, I think I dislocated it. Yeah, uh,
1: it was a definitely a great win for ASU. Um, it was a great environment being there. Uh, just uh, Mason and I went. Uh, I thought it compared pretty favorably to Missouri. Uh, of, of the games that I've been to the, the big road games that ASU's played in To me, Wisconsin was A superior environment Really kind of incredible uh, But other than that, I think in the Midwest football It was right there with uh, some of the best And it was a, it was a great game What do you guys think about watching it on TV?
2: It was a crazy experience. The last three minutes, honestly didn't know what was going on with the officiating. I know there was like three timeouts and a false start that had taken place before ASU could go with that fourth down conversion and just so many things and how ASU ended up on top was really crazy watching from home. What would you think, Rod? It was it was fun to watch from
3: home. Obviously, the perspective at the game is, is interesting and enjoyable and you get to see a lot, but I think that there is a lot of value in being able to be at home and see it on the TV because the angles are a lot better and you're kind of in the action rather than above it. And that was cool. That that was an interesting perspective, especially for this game.
1: Yeah. So to be totally transparent, uh, I think it's probably a lot better being at home when you're on the field. So what we do uh, typically is we usually are leaving the press box around five minutes left in regulation so that we can get to the post-game press conference and then shoot whatever happens on the field with our phones and get some of that stuff up. Well, when that's the case, you you can't see the field as well, right? And then you don't have the benefit of replay or any of the other sort of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- things that also uh, help your understanding of kind of what's going on on the field because you're not getting any of that sort of perspective. And this game in particular, the whole game really happened, from the last you know several minutes right like everything that we had seen up to that point uh completely changed with ASU's go-ahead drive and then then the Michigan State's final drive that ended up uh in a somewhat controversial way I guess some would describe it um with the missed field goal after the 12 men on the field Mm -hmm. and 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 then the leaping that wasn't called which Danny Gonzalez today acknowledged uh was a penalty that was missed but um Kind of a wacky game in a lot of respects. I I knew ASU could win. I didn't expect it to, especially the way that the game unfolded because just Michigan State had almost twice as many yards from, right. from scrimmage. But Michigan State, we're going to get into it, of course, but Michigan State had so many self-inflicted wounds and missed, penalty, missed right. field goals and other sort of problems that it, it hurt itself, and ASU – ASU didn't have those things happen, right? And, th- and that that was to me like the difference.
0: And before we get into those those weaknesses, those those areas where Michigan State seemed to shoot itself in the foot, uh, the end of the game, a uh, really incredible sequence, Arizona State a game winning drive with Eno Benjamin punching it in from one yard out. Chris, can you take us through that final
1: drive and what it entailed for ASU? Right. So uh, of course ASU hadn't scored a touchdown throughout the whole game, it hadn't scored in the second half. Uh, after leading three nothing at halftime, right, uh, and ASU gets the ball with um, it's it's its tenth drive. There's like just over like just around three minutes left in the game. ASU starts on its own twenty five after a penalty. Um, there's uh, two plays before a first and ten, in which uh, you have. Jane Daniels hitting Brandon Ayuk on a 40-yard pass. That's a fade. That was ASU's biggest play from scrimmage at 243. Uh, That particular play was illustrative of of something that we saw throughout the game that's really kind of important. In last year's matchup between ASU and Michigan State, uh, we saw – The Spartans do what is their bread and butter defensively, which is they either run a cover one, which means a single high safety, usually man coverage underneath of that, or they run a quarters coverage, which is essentially splitting the field into four quarters, and everybody has their responsibility to depth in that area. It it looks like man coverage sometimes, but it's really uh, a zone. Um, In this game, throughout the game, Michigan State at times played a cloud cover three. OK, so that's that's three defensive backs splitting the field in a deep zone. And the reason that Michigan State did this is because uh, it it realized that in last year's game in Tempe, uh, this is partly supposition, but I'm kind of confident in it. The, the Sun Devils carved up Michigan State in the second half when it went to. Ten personnel groupings with four receivers on the field and was able to throw vertical routes uh, outside of the hashes against Michigan State's quarters or cover one coverages. Okay, so what happened in this game is uh, Michigan State went to a lot of uh, cover three because they were concerned about asu's ability to beat man coverage vertically and the sun devils hadn't completed any long passes throughout the game so it actually worked in that respect but it didn't work entirely because there were some soft coverages and some scrambles that ASU was able to get out of this type of a look, especially when it was zoned underneath of the the cover three. So what what happened was Michigan State would have three deep, then they'd have a five-across zone at the second level, and they'd only rush three passers. Okay, on this particular 40-yard play, uh, Rob Likens was aware that they were probably going to be in a cloud coverage, and uh, he wanted to bring... Or maybe they would be in quarters, but one or the other. But what he wanted to do was he wanted to get the safety on the play side to move. And so the way he did that pre-snap was he brought in Ethan Long, who had been a limited usage player and they really hadn't seen him, into the game to motion from the boundary side to the field side, which ended up being the backside. And as a result of that, the safety slides over a little bit on the what ends up being the play side to give more time and space mm-hmm. for that ball to get to Brandon Ike without somebody else being able to co- come over and help. And then the corner had bad technique against Brandon Ayuk and kind of got beat on a, uh, it was a little bit of a sale of a double route. It looked like he was going to run on the, to the inside. He had inside leverage and then he ends up going outside. Daniels actually under the ball a little bit and it was a little bit more toward the sideline than it should have been. Had it been a little bit more on target, that's a touchdown. But that set ASU up on first and ten from the 35. Then we saw a tunnel screen uh, that went to Ayuk. Uh, Lasoya um, he kind of missed. He kind of missed it. Um, uh, the block. And then after that, um, we saw um, a drop by Ayuk. Uh, and then eventually ASU was in a third and eight. Uh, had a a play to Ryan Newsom that was incomplete, that was in traffic, and I don't know that I like the play call there. And then following that, uh, ASU took a timeout on fourth and eight, um, but then it had a false start on Jaden Daniels, which set up a fourth and 13. Now, on this fourth and 13, what happened is uh, Michigan State ended up then taking two timeouts to look at ASU's formation, and what Rob Likens decided to do was run the same play after the timeouts, but out of a different formation. So what they did was they showed initially it was a two by two. Then after the timeout, they went to a three by one, but they motioned after the second timeout, they motioned uh, a receiver from one side to the other side. And then they ran four vertical routes the reason that they did that is because Rob Likens anticipated they'd be in the same cloud coverage zone with the zone under that they had been mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. and by running the four vertical routes they'd be able to expand this, this the, the 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 second level zone defenders out. And then Eno Benjamin was going to slip through and so the option was if there's nobody open immediately on a vertical because somebody had a bust Daniels could throw the ball to Eno Benjamin and try to run for it from underneath after like a five-yard type of a reception. But Jaden Daniels saw so much space open up that he just basically took it. Eno Benjamin recognized it. As soon as he crossed the line of scrimmage, Daniels is a runner. Eno Benjamin is then looking for a block, and Daniels was able to get, I think, 15 yards out of the play for a first down to move the chains. That set ASU up on first and 10 at the 13-yard line. Then Daniels scrambled for five yards. He had a throwback for Eno Benjamin on that play, but decided not to, and it was a difficult uh, pass. Then they had a second-and-five situation that where the ball went to Frank Darby, and it went through his hands, and he was kind of closely defended. Probably should have been a, a touchdown there. He wasn't able to come up with it. Then ASU used its final timeout uh, f- before a third-and-five play, and um, basically they they were able to get the backside cleared out, and Benjamin was able to do a nice job blocking for Daniels as he scrambled for a first down to the one, right? And then at that point, ASU had first and goal at the one. Even though they have no timeouts, there's plenty of time for them if they aren't able to punch it in in the first down or two and they don't want to leave much time on the clock. So you run to Benjamin Mm -hmm. This play is now apparently being called the reach. I think it was Kevin Stewart, our staffer, who tweeted that on Twitter like immediately after. All these famous ASU plays have been known as the catch, the run, the return, whatever. And this one's the reach. Benjamin actually touching the ball on the goal line. Um, they reviewed it. It re- 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 was a touchdown. Had it not been, Kyle Williams recovered the ball in the end zone. And he has a knack for somehow being yeah, around the ball. He
0: somehow always does that. I think he did that in the Utah game last year that ASU w- right won in.
1: So I think A I think A I think fans, you know, everybody there probably thought the game was over because Michigan State had no more timeouts. There's fifty seconds left. Michigan State needs to go, you know, quite a ways in forty some odd seconds right. to, to kick a field goal. And then um they ended up it ended up happening. Essentially what ended up happening is uh, Michigan State gets the ball back, and uh, ASU, you know, had decent coverage in the first few reps, but then they went into a prevent type of a defense, which Danny Gonzalez really regretted. He was in between instead of ru- instead of blitzing or only rushing three and playing uh, a a more a better numbered zone behind it. They played cover two and ended up being really soft. They were able to hit a conversion of thirty something yards which then created you know, this opportunity in which Michigan State got a 47-yard a, a field goal, but there was 12 men on the field. The play was wiped away, and it was 42 yards, pardon me, not 47. Then it backed it up to 47, right. and then Rudner's going to walk us through kind of what happened from there.
3: Yeah, so, so they, they have the 42-yarder negated. It's backed up five yards. There's six seconds left on the clock. Coglin. Michigan State's kicker Matt Coughlin, who had missed his first two field goals of the day, now has to kick again to tie the game and what will ultimately end up being the last play of the game make it or miss it. Snap comes, he kicks the field goal, misses it, game's over. And then, after the game was over, upon further review, Cam Phillips came towards the line of scrimmage. He walked up to it and then attempted to jump over. The Michigan State long snapper. Now, what's the problem with that? You can't jump a player unless you come set at the line of scrimmage prior to jumping. If you come set and then jump, it's clean. If you walk up to the line of scrimmage before hurdling a player, it's considered a leaping penalty. And in this situation, Phillips did not come set, so it should have been a penalty for leaping. Now, had that penalty been assessed, it would have been half the distance to the goal line, an untimed down, and a re-kick for Matt Coughlin from what would have ended up being roughly 30 yards out. So the,
1: the Pac-12 acknowledged this, right? And right. and and Danny Gonzalez said that, yes, it should have been a penalty, not just for that, not just for not coming set, but Phillips also launched using someone to, to so propel he, himself forward. which He put is his also, left hand on the center. Which is also illegal, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there was some conversation including by us after – The game about Michigan State also doing something similar on the PAT attempt but after looking at that more closely and understanding the rule a little bit better Michigan State player had done the same thing but he was from a three-point stance and then after the snap uh, moved up and jumped over the defender which is is legal yes as long as you don't use any assistance and you aren't moving before the snap uh, occurs so all that being the case, I just want to also say a few other things. There was plenty of calls missed in the game. Right. It's just it just so happens that officials are always going to acknowledge, not always, but they they tend to be willing to acknowledge a last minute, last second, last something type of a call that affects the outcome of a game, right? They're not going to like mm-hmm. go over every you know, missed call throughout a game, of course, right? Even though that that's that's that happens. I personally think that the pass interference on on Evan Fields that was in that drive that mm-hmm. enabled Michigan State to be in the field goal range was a very soft call that probably shouldn't have been called. The ball was not really catchable. It, he didn't actually change anything about the receiver.
0: Seemed like the tight end sort of just threw his hands up. Yeah.
1: So, you know. I mean I, it's I, I don't think that that you know they should have still got the call correct and they should have still give, given Michigan state an untimed down by the letter of the law. Right. But at the same time calls get missed and it, it kind of is what it is.
3: And, and at the same time Mark Dantonio said after the game, does it suck and this is paraphrasing, but he basically said does it suck that we didn't get the call? Yeah, it sucks, but we had plenty of other opportunities to win this game and this whole win-loss situation doesn't come down to the one missed call penalty should it have been called yes it should have been called it was it was a pretty blatant penalty but did Michigan State
1: lose on that one play I don't think they did definitely not and to that point Michigan State lost something like 35 yards on a punt return or it would have been in field goal range already on a holding call
0: 10 penalties for 91 yards and a turnover and, for Michigan and State. not
1: just 10 penalties for 91 yards but like at critical junctures in critical spots that moved itself away from being in scoring range or forced it to be having to punt. Uh, and, um, you know, just, you know, it, it, not like it's going to say it was like some, a super sloppy game, but just inopportune mist- timing of a lot of the mistakes. I, I mean,
3: they Michigan state lost out on, on six points on missed field goals on clean attempts yes. in the first place. Coglin, who had been perfect coming into the game, was zero for two prior to this attempt, so that was six points already. Yes. on relatively in-range field goals that they
1: dropped the ball. One on. was a chip shot that you and 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 he's a pretty good field goal kicker. He, overall, he is but. a very good field goal kicker.
0: Yeah, it was surprising to see Michigan State, at least for me, shoot themselves in the foot so much. Um, the the penalties, the one turnover, uh, just the sloppy play from a team that usually I would think with Mark D'Antonio is just a very solid. Uh, football program I want to go into A little bit more Of Arizona State um, Offensively A big change Obviously on the Offensive line With Cole Cabral Moving to center Donovan West To right guard And Ladarius Henderson Getting his first start Chris you wrote about it In the Upon Further Review That's on our board But but what did you make uh, Of the individual Performances from Henderson and West In
1: that game Well let's Let's take a step back First right uh, Typically in Preseason camp as long as I've been doing this, and even last year with Dave Christensen as the offensive line coach, what you see is a lot of experimentation about what possible combinations of lineups that a team can have. And uh, as you guys recall in our audience, I'm sure we'll recall, we put out a daily tracker that kept updating every single day who the top five players of, of practices were. Uh, don't, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I'm relatively confident that Cole Cabral didn't make that list. And he didn't have a good camp as a left tackle. And he's not really a tackle. And I think that's sort of, that's why ASU moved him uh, after the 2017 season to center. And that's why he had a really great season last year and is, was you know, forecast to be one of the top center prospects in the country. The, the configuration that I thought that they might want to look at was one in which Steve Miller moved to left tackle, Roy Hemsley to right tackle, and then you play your other guys at guards. I knew that Donovan West was a really good player going back to the spring in terms of what he was going to be in his career. Didn't necessarily think that he would be able to do that immediately. Didn't know, you know exactly what to expect from Ladarius Henderson, although I will say that in camp, we were kind of raving about with Darius Henderson mm-hmm. and even also Ben Scott, who I think is going to be really good as well. And Don West, I kept saying, like, this guy's going to be a really good player in time. But, you know, for a true freshman, it doesn't happen. Dave Christensen said he's played one true freshman in 39 years or whatever it is mm-hmm. of his career. So now you got two true freshmen. Uh, Herm Edwards said on uh, Monday's press conference this week, I was thinking about making these changes after the first week, right? Dave Christensen had told me. Uh, I think August seventh. Like as long as we don't have Zach Robertson, we're playing Cokerbrow at left tackle. And I was kind of like, I don't know. Like I, I, I didn't think that that to be so like resolute in that. I didn't necessarily like think that made a lot of sense. And that's why I was surprised also that they didn't at least look at a first team that had other guys and maybe Ladarius Henderson or whoever in some of these other in other positions. But I will say that after their first two games, I wasn't surprised that they then decided to look at other options Mm -hmm. because their offensive line was actually quite porous, including it's it's we know that Coker ball is a great center. He wasn't very good at left tackle. So now you have two positions that aren't good. Right. You had one that was good. Well, if you don't have a good left tackle or an experienced left tackle, you can do things to protect that that position. And they did so against Michigan State. They chipped that player with running backs, tight ends, sometimes receivers coming in, getting a hit on them, a bump, then releasing. And that that had some effectiveness. Now they weren't able to do it all the time, and uh, of course, when you have a guy like Kenny Willickis, you're going to get beaten when you're a 17-year-old, you know, freshman playing left tackle. He's a great defensive player he had 20 and a half tackles for loss last season so but the thing I can't stress enough is Donovan West had the best performance I've ever seen in my career at ASU for a freshman redshirt or true freshman
0: lineman Lineman. offensive lineman Lineman.
1: the very best lineman I've ever seen performance as a freshman true Mm -hmm. freshman or redshirt in that game he graded out internally as a 98% by ASU. I don't grade every single position for every single player because I it would, you know, I wouldn't get nothing else done during the week because they have way better technology and a coach is doing each position group. But I can assure you that he was nearly flawless in the game. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was mind-blowing actually how good that he was. He was their best offensive lineman on the field. Better than Brawl, better than Alex Osoya, better than Steve Miller. Those are seniors who have played a lot. Dave
3: Christensen said, and this w- was on Tuesday today when we're recording this. Dave Christensen said that he has to to score a ninety eight percent. You have to have missed maybe one one play had to have not gone right. He says it was one of the most perfect performances he's seen in a long time. And he didn't even use the word freshman. He just said this was one of the best performances I've seen in a very long time. And
1: let's let's just get additional Mm -hmm. perspective. We're talking about one of the best defensive fronts in the country that he was doing this against. So the bottom line here is Ladarius Henderson, he did okay for a freshman, he did well. But those two guys together are... (laughs) Very clearly on now a trajectory toward being all conference type players like in two years or so, three years. Mm -hmm. Um, And they provided pretty decent protection, all things considered, for Jaden Daniels relative to the opponent and the environment and all these other variables. So... I just I think you know in retrospect this looks like the right move, especially because you're 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 still trying to prepare for the future and you're doing that with two freshmen, who they probably are their best freshmen. Uh, we this week we saw that Cade um, Cody is is seems to be making progress. He was taped up and he's probably t- advancing in his rehab. We'll see. He's probably no more than a few weeks, several weeks away at the most. Uh, and so we'll see what they do with that. We also know that ASU had been looking at Jarrett Bell as a redshirt freshman. He had started at right guard. I think that just Don West is just very clearly the, their best option right now uh, among the younger players as an additional guy. Some people are wondering why, why Roy Hemsley hasn't played. He actually started last year against Michigan State. I think that is basically a consideration of all things being equal. Let's go with guys who are younger, younger hungrier, more physical. They mm-hmm. want it. And I don't think that Hemsley has demonstrated that. Otherwise, he'd be on the field.
0: Very interesting game plan also for Arizona State's offense, not giving Eno Benjamin one carry in the first quarter. Obviously, going up against the Spartans, who had who boasted the number one rush defense in the nation, as we reported, quite a bit leading up into that game. But Arizona State stuck by their approach uh, that they were going to play this gritty Uh, defensive game and end up winning late. That's what they did.
2: They did, and Rob Likens was talking about after the game how you know he couldn't really open shots down the field. It had to be a lot of things, a lot of moving out to the perimeter before the running game can open up once they got Michigan State out, and that's what happened in the last quarter. I was talking to Frank Darby today, and he almost couldn't believe that Michigan State dropped eight defenders on that fourth down attempt, and Jay, where Jaden Daniels was able to scramble, it was just a matter of, okay, they were able to execute. It took a while, and it was kind of grueling, but that's what they needed to do in order to open up certain things for them to get going.
1: Right, so uh, I think Rob Likens said he couldn't remember a game in which he didn't have a called handoff for a running back in the first quarter. Uh, he's got triple option stuff in his background. Of course, he, he later on, he has a kind of an eclectic uh, coaching career. He coached an air raid. But probably even an air raid, if you have a guy like a great running back, you're going to give him the ball on a handoff. And they were, they were doing everything that they could to try to spread Michigan State out laterally. And a lot of run replacements, quick game. They're just trying to get the ball out of Daniel's hands uh, as much as they could. Um, You know, some of the calls I don't necessarily agree with, but I think the overall approach kind of made sense for what they were trying to do. Um, They, we knew like ASU's special teams are really good. I thought Turk didn't he had his worst of his three games for sure, but it was still a pretty good game. He had two punts that were bad one of which was returned, but then there was a penalty. Another one, he had a chance to flip the field, and he need a 26-yard punt or something like that. It was a bad punt. Uh, that was the only real bad punt that he's had. But they're comfortable playing. We've been talking about this. They're comfortable playing a game that looks more like an NFL-style game where not a lot of rushing yards, not a lot of really big plays, right. not a lot of points are scored, field position is going back and forth, play count is more like maybe in the 60s or 70s and you're you're fighting for first downs and you're trying to to maybe tire out and find you know something that works get into a rhythm and and they weren't able to do it i'd said earlier michigan state changed some of its coverages that changed asu's ability couldn't really hit on big play shots Uh, and so they were just, there was a lot of bubbles. There was, you know, some, some, you know, Jane Daniels was scrambling some of that by design, some of it not, some of it having some options. Um, it, it wasn't pretty. I mean, obviously they had a hundred yards passing in the game before that 40 yard completion, uh, to Ayuk. And, you know, but part of that was Michigan state's respect for ASU's vertical playmaking capability, which then reflected in kind of what they did, schematically, which gave some other opportunities for ASU.
2: And not to get too far away from your point, Chris, I just remember last week when we talked to Antonio Pierce, how he felt like this was going to be that low scoring game and that the defense was ready for that. And going back to the conversations we had that day also, Jamar Cain was looking to get a lot of Jermaine Lole, and it finally looked like he was able to turn into good performance in this game.
1: Yeah. I'd love to talk about the defense, Rob. What do you think?
0: Yeah. We were just about to go talk about the defense. I wanted to make sure everybody could, could talk about the offense, but the defense seven points allowed three straight games. The second, uh, best scoring average for uh, the the defense in the in the nation. Wisconsin's up there as, uh, with ASU, but a tremendous performance by Evan Fields in particular. A, t- a team high thirteen tackles. Uh, he was the mandrake this week as we are recording this podcast. Like Jacob Redner said on on Tuesday, um, Danny Gonzalez said that he's been the most improved defensive player since last year. Jermaine Lole had a really good play early on uh, in the secondary. Chase Lucas and Kobe Williams uh, had some pretty solid play. There were some 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 plays that Danny Gonzalez was mentioning that, that Michigan state was able to be successful. And that was mostly when a Crosswell wasn't on the field.
1: Yeah. I a big picture. What I would say is the uh, ASU fans got pretty accustomed to seeing horrible defense in the latter stages of the Todd Graham era. And now they're trending into uh, some of the best defense that we've seen in decades at ASU um, sort of the yin and the yang, you know, like the, the, Synergy, the harmony in the universe, whatever it is, it's sort of balancing out now, maybe. And um, they weren't excellent by any stretch, but they were very good. And when you can say that it wasn't – if you're Danny Gonzalez and you're saying, "Hey, we, we, I wasn't super thrilled with our performance, and then you realize, oh, like our opponent scored seven points on us at home in the Big Ten in a tough environment – when our offense was struggling to move the ball and do anything, Mm -hmm. that's the key part of it, right? Right. It's one thing. If your offense is a juggernaut and your defense isn't on the field that much Mm -hmm. and you're not giving up much, it's a totally different thing. When your offense has whatever it was, 200 and something yards from scrimmage, Mm -hmm. not good performance Mm -hmm. at all, really all things considered. And your defense is still with an assist from Michigan state shooting itself in the foot. Right limiting an opponent to seven points. Yeah. They are the best scoring defense in the country among teams that have played three games. Okay. That is an insane stat. They are one of the best red zone defenses in the country. They are one of the best at, uh, at uh, turnover margin, right? Cause Jane, and has not thrown any interceptions and they've got a lot of fumbles, even though their interceptions are not anywhere near on the pace that Danny Gonzalez said they should be. And he's a little bit frustrated by that.
0: It, it will be interesting to see how they do against the Colorado offense this week that has some firepower with Steven Montez, LaVisca Chanel, Katie Nixon. It, it will be very cool to see how they how they fare against a pretty high-powered offense. And
1: they're going to want to beat those guys after what happened last year. Right. With Nikhil Harry taking the hit on the on the play and all that stuff. And I'm really anxious to talk about that in the Thursday podcast. But bef- I want to make sure that we don't uh, gloss over something that, that happened in this game that was very important on defense. Uh, last year, Danny Gonzalez played three-man fronts, and uh, a lot of like four linebacker looks, or like another linebacker in the box in support of the three, like mm-hmm. against Michigan State. And so, what happens is all these it's a chess match. These coaches are preparing based on what they saw in last year's game and what they faced. We talked about that on the other side with Michigan State's adjustment to Rob Likens' 10 personnel success in the passing game and the vertical threats. Same thing happened with ASU's defense making adjustments to Michigan State's offense. And what they did was they they, they, they brought a 50-front look against Michigan State in the heavier personnel groupings, which were two tight ends or one running back or, or vice versa. What they did was they walked their linebackers up to the edges, just offsetting the the ends. So it looks like you have five basically guys playing ends. And then they brought Evan Fields down into the box. So it's a 5-2 type of a defensive look. They did not do that against the Spartans last year. Well, what ended up happening is all of their run play stuff that Michigan State ran, Evan Fields was unblocked for the most part on all that stuff because he was Mm -hmm. an extra number for ASU. And he did a phenomenal job of making plays on the football and in, in, in run-read reactions. Mm-hmm. That's what enabled his 13-tackle performance, which led to him being the Mandrake player of the week. And I asked Rob Likens, uh, pardon me, I asked Danny Gonzalez this this week, is Evan Fields your most improved player on defense? Because I'm think, saying to myself that he has to be the guy, right? And he said, no question. Uh, what we're seeing at Evan Fields is a guy who... Really started to take film study a lot more seriously. He is now seeing what opponents are doing and understanding it better. He lost probably five to ten pounds. He leaned out his body. He was already plenty athletic. He uh, improved his tackling technique and approach, which has then really, really helped him. And he looks great right now. I mm-hmm. mean, You know, we saw last year they had no kind of consistency until Jalen Harvey really got it going at the Tillman position, and then he got hurt. We thought that Tyler Wiley was going to be the guy this year, and then Tyler Wiley uh, ends up um, missing the first game due due to a suspension. Evan Mm -hmm. Fields plays well, and he's running with it. Danny Gonzalez mentioned Wally Pip. Wally Pip replaced Lou Gehrig after a healthy scratch. I mean, pardon me. Uh, Wally Pipp was a healthy scratch, which led to Lou Gehrig replacing him. And then Lou Gehrig proceeded to go on the Iron Man record for the most consecutive games played and become a Hall of Famer, one of the most famous Yankees of all time. Evan Fields used the opportunity of Tyler Wiley, the anticipated starter, not right. playing, to show what he was able to do, and he continued to progress and progress and progress. Feel uh, Wiley was on the on the field for one series, one little series. In that game, he had an, a, not a very good play. Evan Fields was immediately back on on the field. Now, one more thing I want to talk about, Rob, because I know we're going into the weeds here, but I know you want you kind of want to move on, but it's very important for our audience. You mentioned Crosswell being off the field. Uh, According to Danny Gonzalez, he got hit in the thigh, which led to him cramping up. On the only touchdown drive of the game for the Spartans, okay? He's off the field. Kiwan Markham replaced him. Michigan State hit multiple plays in his area. Then he was replaced by Willie Hart, another freshman. He gave up a play. What happened is those guys were afraid, pardon me, of giving up big plays in the passing game. So they were playing soft coverage that allowed some of these big gainers to take place, which moved the ball down the field and mm-hmm. led to Michigan State's touchdown. I'm telling you right now, if Crosswell hadn't had to leave the field, they probably don't get a bunch of those yards mm-hmm. and maybe not even a touchdown. Right.
0: Well, another thing, another guy that you can make a case, uh, was the Wally Pip and the Luke Eric whole comparison. Christians and Deos eight for eight field goals this year. Um, And Jacob has some news about Zendayas from today.
3: Uh, We'll we'll keep it brief, but he is a perfect 8-for-8 to start the season. He's one of four kickers in FBS to be 8-for-8 and to have made eight field goals. And he was awarded a scholarship on Tuesday morning. Herm Edwards gathered the team to tell everybody that Christian Zendayas would be added to the scholarship list. And that is a new development. He does not count against the 25 for, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, he does not count against the 25 for this year. For any year. For any year, but Mm -hmm. he will count against the team's 85 total scholarship cap.
1: Yeah, so uh, two years ago, they changed the rule so that uh, you don't have to be in a program for two years before count without counting again for counting against the 25. It used to be two years before you didn't count against 25. They changed it to one year. Mm-hmm. Well, so he doesn't count against 25. ASU has a whole bunch of, right. against 25. ASU doesn't have, has a whole bunch of scholarships that it can is below the 85. So that's kind of an irrelevant. So it's pretty, it's pretty no brainer to give him a scholarship and he absolutely deserves it. Not, th- Not really a Wally pip though, because I would just say that it, it happened because, uh, Randy Ruiz not healthy. Like, Pip just decided not to play because he had a headache or a hangover or something like that. And are you sure about that? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I mean, I'm it was not an sure. But I, I,
0: I had heard about Wally Pip about a month ago referring According to, Christian to the Zaydeas. legend. It was like a healthy scratch. Got it.
1: Okay. But yeah, I don't know. Well, I wasn't around. Chris I wasn't is doing a
0: great job. He was awarded a scholarship. Yeah. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. We're going to have uh, a breakdown of Colorado, a complete analysis, all of Chris's thoughts, our pick-the-pack segment, the standings of pick-the-pack, and more coming on Thursday's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report Premium Podcast. But right now, for site publisher Chris Cartman and reporters Trevor Booth and Jacob Rudner, I'm your host Rob Warner saying so
1: long, and thank you for tuning in.